Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What's up, everyone, and welcome to The Reluctant Historian. This is the podcast where I try to show my husband that history is actually cool. I'm your host, Liz Lawson, and this is our reluctant historian, Dakota Lawson. On this podcast, I'll tell him a story from history, and he'll share his unapologetic thoughts and opinions. So, if you love history, or you absolutely hate it, this podcast is for you. So, Dakota. Yeah. On today's episode, we will be talking about the history of... St. Valentine's and Valentine's Day. Oh, how that's cool. That's a, that's a very appropriate as we're going into February. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, uh, you've been hyping. You've been hyping this one up for a while. I'm curious to see what you uh, what you have to say. Yeah, I thought it would be good. Um, so this episode's going to drop on February 10th, actually, and okay. then yeah, four days later will be Valentine's Day. Perfect. Yeah, and it's really interesting. Is it? Yes. Okay. Well, you've been talking about it for a while, and you've sounded. You haven't told me what it was going to be, but you've been like, I can't wait for this episode. So yeah, there's a lot of really funny, interesting facts about both St. Valentine's and the history of Valentine's Day. Okay. Well, I'm excited to hear about it then. Okay. So sit down, buckle up and get ready to listen to the history of Valentine's Day. that we are recording on Treaty 6 territory in the homeland of the Métis Nation. We make this acknowledgement in recognition that we are settlers here on the land that belongs to the many different First Nations of Canada. Alright, so we launched our first episode last week. We launched it uh, two weeks early because I had been reading on Apple that you might need about two to six weeks um, headway to get approved. So we decided to launch early and also as a thank you to our fans. Yes, we did this for our only fans. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we launched our first episode and the feedback has been really good. And so we wanted to thank you guys for listening to our first episode because it was a labor of love for both of us. Yes, I love history and I really wanted this to go out to the world to share my love of history. I know you did. Um, but it was really cool. So on the program that we use, we can tell how many people have listened to us and downloaded us, um, where they listen and download from. So we actually have listeners from literally all over the world, which was so crazy to us. We have listeners from the Netherlands, from Sweden, from France, um, also in Canada. We have places people listening from America. So whoever you are that are listening, thank you. And, and uh, you know, we'd love to hear from you. So if you want to email us or find us on Instagram, that would be really cool. Yeah, it's 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 really cool that we put this out and that there are actually people who are listening to us. And it seems that, you know, hopefully the people that have already listened continue to check it out each week as we get better at this. But 
it was cool to see, yeah, people from France and uh, Netherlands um, giving it a listen. Because obviously, I mean, we don't know anybody from that place. I mean, unless my friend Nick told his mom to listen, <laughs> then maybe she's listening. If if so, hi, Nick's mom. <laughs> yeah, so thank you to our secret France and Netherlands and Sweden listeners. Yes. So Dakota, what is your golden nugget for today? Last night we watched Hot Fuzz. I want to talk about that a little bit. Oh, okay. Uh, For those who don't know, Hot Fuzz is a movie that came out in 2007, directed by Edgar Wright. He was originally working on the Ant-Man movie for Marvel, but they had uh, difference of opinions and he went a separate way. But I found it interesting as I haven't seen it since I was 15. And when I was 15, I was like, oh, that wasn't that great. It was kind of boring. There wasn't much action. And now as an adult seeing his other movies and seeing the parallels with like to do with his filmmaking and the style. Edgar Wright's filmmaking? Edgar Wright's filmmaking. It's very like stylistic and everything's quick and fast paced. Like he did Scott Pilgrim versus the world after that. And I showed it to my parents and they absolutely hated it. (laughs) Just like (laughs) it goes so quick that it it doesn't give you chance to breathe almost in this in the sense of... uh, just the style he uses, everything is, like, doesn't feel like there's any pauses. Mm-hmm. It's just quick, quick, quick. Yeah, so what, what did you think of the movie? Yeah, so it's a two-hour-long film, and so when we pulled it up to watch it, it was really close to my bedtime, and I was like, oh, man, two hours of this? But it, I agree with you. It went by really, really quickly, and um, I can't remember watching it when I was younger. I'm sure I did, but... Uh, I was very interested in it from start to finish, and usually I don't stay engaged in a lot of films, so I did enjoy it as well. That's good, because uh, while watching it, I wasn't sure if you were, we, we paused it and it was there was like an hour left, and I got the feeling that you weren't enjoying it, so it's good to hear that you uh, actually liked it. Well, in that hour, that last hour, it didn't seem to take a whole hour to finish, so... Yeah, no, that's good. That also... I was about to give a spoiler, so I'm not going to say that. No, you don't want to spoil the movie from 2007. That's true. What about you? What's your golden nugget? Okay, so yeah, my golden nugget, you know I spent the Christmas break painting our sunroom. You did. I wasn't allowed to help because I didn't do a great job in the bedroom. (laughs) I really appreciated your help, but... Thank you. It was just easier for me to do it myself. You sound like my mother. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so I painted it this really pretty terracotta color and we've kind of turned it into um, a gym space because, you know, with quarantine and COVID, we choose not to go to gyms. Um, So we have a treadmill in there and we finally put up our Apple TV stuff and our TV so we can do classes online. And I put some candles in there and a salt rock and I was able to actually do some yoga classes on YouTube. So I was really thankful to be able to move my body again. Yeah, the space that we've got setup is actually really cool and i'm excited to see what it kind of turns into after we get more equipment it's not a large space but being able to get like some things to put your candles on and And a peloton like like the peloton bike yes sponsor us (laughs) okay but the the peloton though that's a big ass machine (laughs) well i don't know it might not be that big okay if we're getting a peloton because i've seen that shit we're getting a peloton we're turning the gym into a garage heated you mean the garage into a gym heated Shut up. <laughs> yes, that's what I meant. <laughs> All right, so you like our gym space, though? I do. It's cool. It's uh, I really like the color. It feels very warm and inviting in there. And every time you say the name Terracotta, I think of the System of a Down song. Don't sing it. We don't have the royalties. Oh, 
shit. <laughs> Just look up Terracotta Pie, System of a Down, if you want to listen to it. It's a banger. All right, so Valentine's Day, February 14th. Four days after this podcast This drops. podcast drops. Yes. Oh, bloody hell. Yes. Or we try to appeal to our British listeners I now. I know, so I don't know what Crikey. just happened there. That's Australian. Um, but we don't really celebrate Valentine's Day, do we, Dakota? No. I got a text this morning while I was in the shower saying, Babe, I know we don't usually celebrate Valentine's Day, but this year, I think I want to. I know. What a coward. Ha- doesn't even have the decency to say that to my face. Just sends it in a text. <laughs> so when Dakota and I first met, I told him I never wanted to celebrate Valentine's Day. And this is true because I I like love. I think love is awesome. But having a specific day to just celebrate it, I think, um, has kind of been co-opted by Hallmark and greeting cards and the chocolate industry and capitalism. So I don't usually like to celebrate it but I think this year because of quarantine I wanted a day that was just kind of marked as special where we're not stuck in the house together doing nothing which I love mostly okay (laughs) are you sure you're not just saying that because it sounds like you don't like being stuck in the house with me (laughs) but um yeah so this year I think we might actually celebrate yay yay no it'll be good I'm I'm excited to plan a date of sorts you know it's not going to be like anything ex- like crazy like going to a sale <laughs> i'm i'm getting to the point where i think going to a restaurant is crazy i was about to say that that's the it's that's, wild guys that's the idea but no like we're not going like to a restaurant because of covid but you know planning a little thing here to do you know mm-hmm. that we can just enjoy actually doing a date mm-hmm. since we haven't been able to do a real date in a long time mm-hmm. and i'm really lucky because dakota's a true romantic and he actually plans really cute dates i'm the best valentine's day so i'm going to talk a little bit about the history of saints and sainthood and saint valentine's okay and then the actual day itself the history of the saint himself gets a little bit tricky because it happened a really long time ago but also there's lots of different accounts of what happened to this man who we now think of as saint valentine's so the question is was he a priest from rome was he from Terni, Italy? Was he imprisoned for performing weddings or because he helped Christians escape prison? And so there's all these different reasons or histories of this man that aren't fully known. So it's because of this confusion that surrounds the true identity of St. Valentine that the Catholic Church has actually discontinued liturgical veneration, which means like praying to him, in 1969. But his name is still on the list of officially recognized saints. We used to pray to this dude? Well, we're not Catholic. Oh, yeah. But Catholics used to pray to this dude? Yeah, and I think they still do. Really? Mm-hmm. But he's not, like, officially recognized anymore because there's, like, so many questions that surround him and his history and which one is the truth that they can't prove that he is actually a saint. Right. So how does that look? Do you, like, you pray to him about love? So you're like, please don't let me die alone or what? Exactly. Huh. Yeah. So I will talk about that in, like, two minutes here okay yeah so great questions dakota we'll talk a little bit about how one becomes a saint so i learned about this when i went to catholic school in grade 11 and 12 and so i had to dig a little bit more into it again because i couldn't remember it off the top of my head but basically christians looked at saints as god's intermediaries what the hell does that mean so they would like go between us and god so if we were asking something and we didn't want to ask god ourselves we would say, hey, St. Valentine, you know, 
uh, I would like to pray for my husband. Yeah. Can you take this prayer for God? It's like you're just being really shy around God or something. <laughs> like, oh, he's like, it's like he's the, the, the cutest boy at the party. And you're like, I don't, can you tell him that I like him, please? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it's like. Well, so my family's Catholic. I'm allowed to say this stuff. That's fair. It's a little different than like the Protestant religions that uh, people might be more familiar with, but that's what Catholicism believed that you'd have this intermediary that would speak to God for you. Okay, interesting. I mean, isn't that what the Pope is too? Like, yeah, he is kind of like yeah. You talk to well, he's like God's representative on Earth, so he's like a human person, and so the saint, obviously, um, but saints are in heaven already. Oh, they're dead. So when the Pope dies, does he become a saint? Only if miracles happened in his lifetime. And he caused them. Oh. So, yeah, Christians would pray to the saints and they would ask for protection, comfort, inspiration, and miracles. And people have called on saints to defend everyone from artists to alcoholics and as patrons from everything from childbirth to whale conservation. Those are very different things. That's true. In the Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Oriental Orthodox, and Lutheran doctrine, saints are made up of all of the faithful people who are now dead. So anybody who believed in God and are now dead would be considered a saint. However, the saints that we pray to are considered more worthy of greater honor and official ecclesiastical recognition. So recognition of the church. And then they also consequently get a public cult of veneration, which is the act of honoring a saint. So how did they get these... uh... How do I become a worthy saint Yes, so, so people can worship me? <laughs> Basically, in this sense, um, a saint is a person who's recognized as having an exceptional degree of holiness or closeness to God. So you have to be really holy or really close to God to be considered a really special saint. I've read the whole Bible. Does that count? No. Damn it. Yeah. And then you also have to go through a process of canonization by the Catholic Church. Canonization? So, yes. So now, Well, this will answer your question. Okay. You're asking, how do I become this holy saint? Yeah, I want to become one. So canonization is the declaration of a deceased person as an officially recognized saint. And there are four things that have to happen to be canonized as a special saint. Okay, what are these four things? Well, so first of all, it's a lengthy process. Ugh. I thought this was going to be a quick thing I could just do. No, and you have to be dead. So it can take years and sometimes even centuries. And so the four major steps. The first one, your life is investigated by an expert. And then if that expert deems you, yeah, he was saint worthy, it will go to the bishop of the area where you live. And if it's approved, they're going to do more studies on your life. So that's the first step. What makes these people qualified to be experts that they can deem a person worthy of becoming a saint? Well, they would have gone to Catholic school for bishops. I don't know what that's called. But to become like a bishop or a priest or those types of things, you do have to devote your whole life to studying the word of the Lord and the things that make up Catholicism. I'm 28. I think I'm a bit behind. I'll, yeah. well, I'll, yeah. I'll, just, I'll just become an influencer on TikTok and then that's a good idea. that'll be kind of the same, right? Well, it's the bishops that are studying your life. So you could still become a saint. You just can't become like a bishop or a priest or something. That's okay. I don't really want to become one anyways. Okay. So once your life has been investigated, that information, and then the bishop's like, yeah, it's okay. That information is sent to the Congregation for the Causes of Saints and the Holy See. Fuck's that. I don't know. These are things that occur, that um, exist in the Catholic Church. So basically, you're investigated, then you're investigated again, and then you're investigated again by an even more intense body of investigators wait you're you're dead at this point right Mm -hmm. so i feel like it'd be like all these experts investigating you and stuff like that like i just i'm just picturing them like going to his apartment and like looking under his mattress and like well i guess he can't become a become a saint anymore you know 
Yeah. Well, I mean, right, like, Mother Teresa isn't even a saint. Why not? I, well, I don't know if she's been um, put forward as for sainthood or not. Weird. But. You think of all the people. I know. That's what I mean. Yeah. So those are the first two two steps, basically. You have to keep getting investigated more mm. and more. Um and then the third step might be even more investigation. And then once you, I guess, have been approved that you've done certain things in your life, that you've led a holy life, that you've been devoted to God, that there are miracles have happened in your life, then you can be given the title of um, blessed. And this is called beatification. Beatification. Yeah. And beatification is a recognition given by the Catholic Church of a deceased person's entrance to heaven and the capacity to intercede on behalf of individuals who pray in his or her name. So that line basically means to me, and I could be interpreting this incorrectly, that people have maybe prayed to you while you were dead and those prayers have been answered, proving that you have interceded on the behalf of a person to God. Interesting. Okay. Mm. And, and so that's probably why it can take years and even centuries, because maybe people have been praying to you and you... I haven't been doing anything. Finally, and at a minimum, proof of two important miracles obtained from God through the intercession of the candidate are required for formal canonization as a saint. And these miracles must be posthumous. So you must be performing these miracles after you are dead. How do they know that it's that person that's performing the miracles? It's a great question. It's probably the 25 investigations that happened prior to this. Right. Okay. And then after all these procedures are complete, um, the Pope may canonize the candidate as a saint for veneration by the Universal Church. So once you're venerated, you can be officially prayed to rather than just not officially prayed to. I'm just picturing like uh, these guys are up in heaven, you know, they're waiting to get their saint acceptance in the mail, you know, just like, <laughs> sorry, you've been rejected from sainthood. Ah, oh, damn it. Not a this is the seventh sainthood that has rejected me, you know. <laughs> probably quite similar to what it's like yeah it's a really complex process so listeners i'm not an expert on the ins and outs of the catholic church and so i probably made some errors in that and so forgive me but what i basically am understanding is that to become a saint you have to be investigated you have your name has to be put forward you have to have performed some miracles after death and then maybe you might become a saint it's a very long process yes a saint may be designated as a patron saint of a particular cause, profession, or locale, may be invoked as a protector against specific illnesses or disasters, sometimes by popular custom and sometimes by official declarations of the church. So, for example, we have St. Christopher, and he is the patron saint of traveling, so people will often have him in their cars. And then saints are not believed to have power of their own, so they're not a god. They basically are just, um, have power that's been given to them by God. Interesting. So do, you see, so do they talk to God? They're like, oh, this guy wants this, and then do the miracle? Or God actually is like, I bequeath upon you this lightning ability. I don't think any of them have lightning ability. They're not superheroes. Well, whatever. I was just... I mean, that'd be cool. It but... would be cool. And to answer your question, I actually don't know. Huh. I'm okay. not, like I said, an expert on the ins and outs of the Catholic Church. Well, if you are an expert on the ins and outs of the Catholic Church, you can write in at the historian at gmail.com. <laughs> so St. Valentine is known to be a real person, so he did exist, but the problem is they don't know which story about him is true, and whether or not he was one person or two people, because there's a, like a couple different stories that exist surrounding him. He died around 270 CE, but his true identity was questioned as early as 496 CE, 
by Pope Galatius I, who referred to the martyr and his acts as being known only to God. So what that tells me is that his history was lost somehow, and even though he was a saint and we did know that he exists, his true history has been in confusion since around the 5th century. Well, that sucks for that guy. Mm -hmm. One account that describes him is from the 1400s, so that's like 1200 years later. As a Roman priest and physician who was beheaded near Rome by the Emperor Claudius II because he was helping Christian couples get married. A second account, so a different one, hence the confusion, say that he was the Bishop of Terni, Italy, um, who was also martyred by Claudius on the outskirts of Rome and whose relics were later taken to Terni. And relics are pieces of saints, so like they're toe bones. They're that, toe bones. Yes, that are considered holy. So people in the Middle Ages would make pilgrimages. They would leave their houses and go to special holy places where they could see different saints' relics. I don't know why I keep going back to toe bones, but they could go and look at these toe bones and pray to them and be like, oh, St. Valentine, I'm just so in love with Mary down the street. Please let her fall in love with me. I've got St. Joseph's nose. I've got it. <laughs> Yeah. Start the car! Do you remember that commercial? I do. That was a good commercial. Mom yeah. loved it. Anyways. <laughs> so the problem with having these relics, and this is maybe a topic for a different story, but lots of bishops and priests would just take random people's toe bones and be like, oh, this is, yeah, St. Valentine's toe. And so you would have like 12 different toes of St. Valentine, and they weren't all real because the Catholic Church at this time was kind of corrupt. No, I mean, if there's one thing I know about this guy, he had 12 toes <laughs> that's the only thing about saint valentine that is true yeah exactly all mm -hmm. those other stuff blah, but 12 toes mm -hmm. that's it okay so we have the two accounts of him not completely sure which identity is his or if there's two people but why was he killed is the second question. And so legend states that he defied the emperor's orders and secretly married Christian couples to spare their husbands from war. So the reason behind that was that Emperor Claudius II had decided that single men were better soldiers than those with wives and families. So he outlawed marriage for young men. Valentine, realizing the injustice of this decree, defied Claudius and continued to perform marriages for young lovers in secret. Oh, what a nice young fella. Mm-hmm. According to a different legend, Valentine had been interrogated by Claudius in person, and Claudius was impressed with him and had a discussion with him, trying to turn him into a Roman pagan in order to save his life. However, Valentine refused and instead tried to convert Claudius to Christianity, and then because of that, he was executed. However, before he was executed, it is reported that he performed a miracle by healing the blind daughter of his jailer, thus causing the jailer and his whole family to believe in Jesus and become baptized. Another source that I read said that he had actually fallen in love with the jailer's daughter and before his death sent her a letter signed, From your Valentine. Oh, mm -hmm. that's really sweet. Mm -hmm. I like... I like that version where he fell in love. Mm -hmm. It was sweet. It is cute. Other stories suggest that Valentine might have been killed for attempting to help Christians escape harsh Roman prisons where they were often beaten and tortured. So the, basically the truth behind the Valentine legends is murky. But the one common thing that links all of these stories is the emphasis on him being a sympathetic, heroic, and most importantly, romantic figure. And by the Middle Ages, he was one of the most popular saints in England and France. So the specific man that we're talking about and the one that we celebrate on St. Valentine's Day is officially known as St. Valentine of Rome. 
because there are actually about a dozen other Valentines on the list, the saint list. Oh, mm-hmm. there are 12 other saints with the last name Valentine? Yeah, so Valentius, or Valentinus is from the la- is the Latin word for worthy, strong, and powerful, and it was a popular name between the 2nd and 8th century, and several martyrs over time have had this name. And there was even a Pope Valentine who served for 40 days. 40 days? Yeah, or Do- do you know where he screwed up or <laughs> I think he just probably died. Oh, was he just, was he super old? I mean, I don't know if you looked into this at I all. I know nothing about Pope Valentine. Okay, that you know what? I think that's a topic for another day that I would love to hear about. About Pope Valentine's 40 days in office. <laughs> so he served around 827 CE. Like I said before, saints have holy duties after their death. They have things that they're supposed to do, including interceding in earthly affairs and entertaining petitions from living souls. So, sorry, does it, does it just go to people who are cheating and go, hey, stop having an affair? <laughs> <laughs> I don't necessarily know what interceding means, but I, I, I'm pretty sure it just means stopping people from having an affair. Interceding in earthly affairs would refer to them getting involved in stuff that's happening on earth. Yeah, like affairs. Not exclusively affairs, but sure. But also affairs. Maybe. Our St. Valentine is responsible for a number of different things, including the lives of lovers, beekeeping, epilepsy, but also the plague, fainting, and traveling. He's also the patron saint of engaged couples and happy marriages. Hold on, hold on. He made those things? No, he doesn't make them. He's like, if I'm having trouble with my beekeeping and I need God's help, I will pray to St. Valentine to be like, yo, you're in charge of beekeeping. My bees aren't making enough honey. Can you go talk to God for me? That's interesting that, you know, you're like, oh, help me not die alone. But also, my bees, they're out of control. (laughs) Or, or like, help me with my epilepsy? He has a very diverse range. He does. You know? Yeah. He's a... How many things did you list? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. He's an octothreat? Octothreat? He's an octothreat. Octothreat. Yes. Okay, anyways, let's talk more about this octothreat. So currently his skull is on display in the Basilica of Santa Maria in Rome. So that would be a relic. We could go pray to it, I guess, if we wanted to. Or really steal pray. it. Or steal it. It's got flowers on it. I'll put a picture of it up on our Instagram page. We found his skull in the early 1800s. Um, they were excavating a catacomb in Rome. They found many skeletal remains and other relics that are now associated with St. Valentine. As is customary, they sent parts of these remains um, to areas that hold holy relics around the world. And these are called reliquaries. And so lots of different places hold these relics for people where they can go to pray for them. And so other parts of his body are now on display in the Czech Republic, Ireland, Scotland, England, and France. And his skull, surrounded by flowers, is in the Basilica of Santa Maria in Rome. So I guess if we ever go to Rome, you and I, we could go look at his skull. That'd be cool. What other body parts does he have uh, that are on display? I have no idea. I guess we're going to have to go to the Czech Republic, Ireland, Scotland, England, and France (laughs) to find those pieces. (laughs) (laughs) valentine's day is celebrated in the middle of february not because of the anniversary of his death but because the christian church may have decided to place his feast day in the middle of february in an effort to christianize the pagan celebration of luprecalia they have a lot of confusing words that's my big takeaway so far is there's a lot of words that i've never heard before Mm 
Mm-hmm. Well, actually, Lupercalia is a Roman festival. And so that word is Latin. And I had to look up how to say it because I couldn't figure it out. And so Lupercalia. My um, inflection is probably incorrect. Yeah, probably, but it's fine. Do you want to know what Lupercalia was? That was my next question, actually. I'm sure there's a rich history of the word Lupercalia. Yeah, there is, and I can't wait to tell you. Oh my god, tell me. (laughs) This is the part that I, like, was so fascinated by. Okay, so this is a pagan celebration, and it was celebrated on February 15th. It's a fertility festival dedicated to Faunus, the Roman god of agriculture, And it's also dedicated to the Roman founders, Romulus and Remus. So to begin this festival, members of the Luperci, who are a order of Roman priests, they would gather at a sacred cave where the infants Romulus and Remus, the founders of Rome, were believed to have been cared for by a she-wolf. By a Mm -hmm. (laughs) she-wolf? Oh man, oh man, the founding of Rome, the legendary story, so interesting. Okay. I'm not going to tell you because I can't remember it right now, but there's a wolf and suckling at the wolf's teat. So she-wolf, not to be confused with she-hulk, tell me about the she-wolf. She was a wolf and she found the babies Romulus and Remus and she took them in and cared for them as her own own cubs. When you say she-wolf, she was just a girl wolf, correct? Yeah. Okay. When you say she-wolf, that makes me think like... She's, like, standing up on two legs, oh. like, werewolf style, and just run, like, like a fucking werewolf. Oh, I can see where the confusion comes from. Yeah. Sorry. She-wolf is just like a, oh, clearly she's on two legs. No, she was just a female wolf. Well, okay. Sorry I'm... <laughs> to ruin you. I'm not, I'm, li- I'm not gonna lie, I'm a little disappointed by that. I was like, holy shit, there's werewolves in Rome? No, just regular wolves. Mm, okay. Okay, so they these Roman priests, they'd go to the sacred cave and they would sacrifice a goat for fertility and a dog for purification. Yeah, it makes sense. They I would, do that too. They would then turn the goat's hide into strips, dip these strips into the sacrificial blood, and take to the streets gently slapping both women and crop fields with the goat hide. <laughs> Is that like... In The Simpsons, when you take off the glove and you have to do the glove slap to challenge someone to a duel, you just dip this shit in blood and they they slap people with it? No, gently slapping. Oh, so okay. Like, There's no glove slap song that goes along with it? Roman women welcomed the touch of the hides because it was believed to make them more fertile in the coming year. Then, later in the day, according to legend, all the young women in the city would place their names in a big urn. Then the city's bachelors would choose a name and they would become paired with that chosen woman. And these matches often ended in marriage. So what we're seeing here is ancient Tinder. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, This festival was eventually outlawed at the end of the 5th century as it was seen as unchristian, and Pope Galicius declared that February 14th would be St. Valentine's Day. It's believed that the English poet Geoffrey Chaucer may have invented the romanticized Valentine's Day. The name Chaucer, that sounds really familiar. Yeah, so he um, was a poet in medieval England. Um, Old literature fanatics are kind of really obsessed with him as like the, he's a really important person in English literature. Okay, cool. So lots of people study him. Um, I probably would have heard about him in English class then, right? Yeah, your teacher might have said something. You could, in Saskatchewan curriculum, talk about one of his poems, The Wife of Bath. The Wife of Bath. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Um, I don't know. Maybe. Most teachers don't teach it anymore because it's, I don't see the relevance in teaching it. Because it's not, it's not legal to marry a bath anymore. It's no longer legal to marry a bath. So it's believed that he invented the romanticized version of Valentine's Day that we follow. Often he would take creative license with history, place his poetic characters into fictitious historical contexts he portrayed as real. So as such, no record of romantic celebrations on Valentine's Day exists prior to a poem that he wrote around 1375, and it's called A Parliament of Fools, spelt F-O-U-L-E-S, because this was before the great vowel shift of uh, the English language. Ah, the great vowel shift. I know it well. In this poem, he links a tradition of courtly love with the celebration of St. Valentine's Day feasts. And this is an association that didn't exist until after his poem received widespread attention. The poem refers to February 14th as the day that birds and humans come together to find a mate. And so he wrote, For this was sent on St. Valentine's Day, when every fool cometh there to choose his mate. Valentine's greetings were popular as far back as the Middle Ages, though written valentines, so like letters and cards, didn't begin to appear until after 1400, and so probably not cards. The oldest known valentine still in existence today was a poem written in 1415 by Charles, Duke of Orleans, to his wife while he was imprisoned in the Tower of London. Do you want to know about Cupid or no? I do. Okay. Um, we see him a lot on Valentine's Day. We see a lot of imagery of this naked little baby boy launching arrows at unsuspecting lovers. But his real image is quite different than that. So he's based on the Greek god of love, Eros, who was actually a handsome, immortal man. And he would play with the emotions of gods and people by using golden arrows to either make people fall in love with one another or using lead arrows to cause aversion. And then it wasn't until a lot later that he began to be seen as the mischievous chubby child that we see him on as val- see him on Valentine's Day cards as. How pissed do you think that he was like this, he's this big, handsome guy, and then now we just see him as this chubby, naked child? <laughs> like, where did that translation get lost? And did someone, like, do a sketch on DeviantArt? And just, like, <laughs> like that's how he came out to be? That's a, good, a really good question. I don't know how it changed or when it changed, but... I don't know. Maybe it's like, has something to do with, like, I mean, the cute chubby child version of cupid it's it's cute you know it's like adorable people love babies right but like you know <laughs> having this big handsome naked guy might not be the same you know shooting we, arrows at you yeah we have a in our culture babies are seen as more they're like really cute and you know love and you everybody just seems to love babies but if your representation of love was this naked handsome man mm-hmm. i feel like especially seeing as it's based on a saint valentine which is a catholic dude they might not be want to be represented by a naked handsome man <laughs> so. i don't know if he was ever naked just handsome oh okay sorry i was picturing because cupid's always naked so i just pictured that this man was always naked um in great britain valentine's day began to be popularly celebrated around the 17th century by the middle of the 18th century it was common for friends and lovers of all social classes so the poor the rich the royalty they would exchange small tokens of affection or handwritten notes. 
And by 1900, printed cards began to replace written letters due to improvements in printing technology. Ready-made cards were an easy way for people to express their emotions in a time when direct expression of one's feelings was discouraged. So Victorian age people and around the 1900s and stuff, you wouldn't really go around saying to people, I love you so much. But if you had a card that was like, I'm really fond of you, it was not as frowned upon. Final fact, today, according to the Greeting Card Association, an estimated 145 million Valentine's Day cards are sent each year, making Valentine's Day the second largest most profitable for capitalism. I mean, the second largest card-sending holiday of the year, second to Christmas. And women purchase approximately 85% of all Valentines. Like the cards? Yes. Oh, really? I would have thought that they would have made their partners be subjected to Valentine's Day and then they would feel obligated to buy cards. So I thought it would uh, be more of a... I thought it would be more split down the middle, I guess. Yeah, I was actually really surprised as well. But I guess I don't actually have an answer about that. But I also was surprised by that number. Yeah, 85%. That's a lot. So... By that logic, you should be buying me the Valentine's Day stuff. And to give to me? No, you just buy for me and I do nothing. That is not going <laughs> to happen. <laughs> Fine. All right, so Dakota, what did you think? Overall, I found it fairly interesting. I don't know a lot about Catholicism, so it was interesting to find out a little bit more about, like, for instance, that they pray to these saints and then they, they pray to the saints and then it, like, it's like a... It's like a game of telephone where it goes up to God and and God gives these saints powers like lightning. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> I don't love Valentine's Day as a thing, so it's not necessarily my favorite topic. As I think that Valentine's Day is just excuse to make people spend money that they don't need to spend. There shouldn't be one day that you tell the person that you love that you love them in this really extreme way. You should be able to express it throughout the year and i just think picking this one day to spend all this all this money all this crap that you know like a bear with a heart i'm just this is getting away from me do you think maybe your opinion of valentine's day is biased do you think if you could think about the history of it without that um cynicism or bias clouding your judgment what do you think of this story that i told you i'm not sure I'm going to explain this in a way that makes sense to me. So basically, everyone told me that Up was one of the best movies ever made, right? And I expected it to be. And then I, I and then it wasn't for me. It was just like, oh, that was, that, that was fine. So I think maybe, because you've been talking about this one for a while, I think it might have been a little overhyped for myself. So I'm sorry to tell you that. But I enjoyed talking about it. I think the, the main thing that I took away from the story overall was I, I liked hearing about the different like uh, Catholicism beliefs and how, how they differ from, from ours and finding where other people are coming from. So actually, that's a great thing that I'd like to uh, dive into is history of specific religions would be really interesting for the future. On my list. Oh, perfect. Um, yeah, because I find that stuff fascinating. So it was interesting, but I feel a bit upped in, refer in reference to the Disney movie. And so, uh, what rating would you give it? I'm staring at him with death eyes right now. I, I have not gotten anything over an eight, and it's killing me inside. This is. But don't let that cloud your judgment. You you go. Extreme. I have to be honest. This is tough being married to the podcast host because <laughs> I want to be truthful for the listeners. The listeners are the only thing that matter right now. Okay, I'm just talking to you. 
listener. I'm going to give this one 6.8 she-wolves out of 10. I think your explanations are awesome. Uh, it's just some subjects just aren't going to speak to me. I'm going to have to do the history of Pokemon next. I want to lead that one, actually. Actually, no, no. Even better. I want you to lead it, and then I want to correct your ass. Like, actually, it's pronounced Arcanine. His name's Pikachu, actually. Perfect. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Well, that's all we have for this week. We'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to hang out with us. If you enjoyed listening to what we had to say, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple or Spotify, leave a review, or just tell your friends about us. If you want to stay in contact or see behind-the-scenes action, you can follow us on Instagram at The Reluctant Historian. Or if you want to shoot us an email with future show ideas or corrections you may have noted, you can email us at thereluctanthistorian at gmail.com. So, we'll see you next week. Same time, same place. And keep on worshipping those toes. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.